Hi, and welcome back to this week 13 edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Black. So last week, we could not uh, send out a podcast due to technical difficulties. We're back this week. We're excited for a full week 13 slate. We have a lot of exciting games, and playoff spots are up for grabs as we get into this stretch run of the NFL season. So Shai, let's get right into it, because it's... Game time. So, Shai, let's start with maybe the biggest news in terms of non-games that happened over the last week plus, and that is the firing of Lions general manager Bob Quinn and head coach Matt Patricia. And I think this was a move that was more of a matter of when, not if, and after their embarrassing loss to the Houston Texans at home, on Thanksgiving, on national TV, with the whole world watching, the Lions, they knew they knew uh, the time had come to make a move, and now this way they can get a head start on not just a new a co- a head coaching search, but a general manager search. Yeah, I mean, Matt Patricia, I was higher on him coming into the season than you were. Uh, I thought he deserved one more la- one last chance with the Matt Stafford to really prove himself, get this team to be somewhat competitive. And again, you know, I think he got that chance, he got that shot, and just enough is enough. We saw that game against Houston, they fell flat, and it, it, it was time. And I think the Lions did a good job of kind of monitoring that, and, and they made the right decision at the right time. Yeah, the biggest red flag was, uh, I think it was, what was it, two years ago, when there was a report that Patricia may have been late to his own meetings, then when they traded Darius Slay in the off this past offseason, season. He was very outspoken of just how Patricia wasn't the right leader for any team and wasn't great at connecting with his players and being relatable. I still think that I don't know if, you know, they're going to probably start to put a candidate list together for a head coach, but you know, I'm I'm mainly in favor of if you have a head coaching and general manager vacancy at the same time, I'm usually in favor of hire the GM than the head coach. So there are a lot of good GM candidates out there. Uh, you look at Ed Dobbs, or Ed Dodds, excuse me, the assistant in or the assistant executive in Indianapolis. Nick Casario, who's obviously gotten a lot of publicity in New England. So there are a lot of really good GM candidates out there. So I definitely think Detroit will have their fair share of pickings, but it will. They do have to, you know. I think. A big reason why they made this move now is because we already see Houston has a vacancy, Atlanta has a vacancy, and I think there are going to be more vacancies as the season concludes. So I definitely think Detroit wanted to get a head start on their general manager vacancy where, you know, compared to other years, there's going to be a lot more competition in that area. Usually you have about five, six, sometimes even seven head coaching vacancies, you very rarely have more than two GM vacancies. So, you know, obviously Detroit's going to have a lot of competition, so they did a good job of getting that head start. Obviously, I probably would have fired Patricia at the end of last season. I think I would have given Bob Quinn, their general manager, one more shot. But obviously, you know, Detroit's just really struggled to build a team around Matthew Stafford. You know, they have they have some nice weapons in Galladay and Marvin Jones, but the offensive line hasn't been great and that defense has been atrocious for years. So 
Detroit, again, it was a matter of when, not if, they decided to make the move after their embarrassing loss to Houston, and now they can get a head start on both their GM and head coaching vacancies. So, Shai, because we're on the topic of the Detroit Lions, as now Derek Bevel, their offensive coordinator, will be taking taking over the interim head coaching role. Let's talk about this Lions-Bears game, and you know, it's a, I think it's going to be a really competitive game. But this game's in Chicago. It's supposed to be around the mid-30s, and I I like Chicago in this one. I know Mitchell Trubisky did not have his best performance against Green Bay, and I know all the scrutiny about the Bears and their quarterback position. But I do think that this defense has still played pretty good despite a rough game against Aaron Rodgers. And let's be honest, a lot of teams have a rough game against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So I think... The defense bounces back, and I just don't know. In in the mid-30 degree of Chicago, I just don't know if Detroit can get enough offenses. They've just really struggled the last few weeks. So, But two kind of teams in the same division, both obviously not going in the right uh, direction, but I got Chicago winning this NFC North battle. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with the Detroit Lions, Alex. It's not because the quarterback matchup favors them, and they... I really have zero confidence in really whoever Chicago wants to put on, on the field. But the the Chicago team just looked lost. They looked like they had given up. They looked defeated before the game was over. And whenever you see that, you, you can't help but be, be really concerned. And now you add that to the quarterback troubles and you know, although the Lions, although the Lions, uh, Lions also came off an embarrassing loss, uh, you know, I think we saw some some fight in them at the beginning of the game, you know. But in the, and then you know we saw Houston really pull away, you know, toward the second half. But I I just, I just think Detroit right now is in a better place, and, and I, I don't really know what's going on in Chicago. Yeah, and we could be looking at Chicago being another vacancy for a head coach and possibly general manager. As you know, their rumblings could Ryan Pace be fired as general manager and Matt Nagy of uh, their the Bears head coach. So obviously, one team that's already moved on from the GM and head coach, and another team that potentially could move on from their GM and head coach. So now let's go to the Saints. And the Falcons, and I picked the Falcons to upset the Saints a couple weeks ago, thinking, you know, Taysom Hill, first career start, and, well, the Falcons offense got nothing going. I mean, they got nothing going, so, and that was with injuries to the Saints secondary. I'm going to go with the Saints. I know the Falcons came off a dominating win against Vegas, but I feel like this happens every year. You know, they'll have a great game, or even multiple times throughout a season, They'll have a dominant game, and people think this is the Atlanta team we all thought they would be. And then they just fall flat the next week. So this Falcons team is just so inconsistent to pick. The Saints, I feel like, especially the last few years, have been the model of consistency in the NFL, even if maybe they haven't shown it as much in the playoffs. I like the Saints to get their 10th win of the season, improving to 10-2 and defeating the Atlanta Falcons. I will give credit, though, to Raheem Morris, the interim head coach of the Falcons, I believe he is 4-2 uh, as the Falcons head coach. So Raheem Morris has put his name right in the, right in the thick of a possible Falcons head coaching search in the offseason. Yeah, as you said, Alex, you have the utmost uh, you know, the staple of consistency in the NFC, and you have the opposite of that in the Atlanta Falcons. So 
it's it's not really a, a hard decision for me. Again, I've said this. I think the Saints, even with Taysom Hill, have proven to me to be the best team in the, in the NFC. Uh, and surely, I think they, they will be once Drew Brees returns. I really like what this team is doing. They're balanced. They're coached well. So it, it's not a hard decision here, Alex. Yeah, so we're both we're both going with the Saints there. Now let's go to a battle of eight and three teams, and which should be a really fun and competitive game, and has a lot of playoff implications. And one of those teams, shy, believe it or not, are the Cleveland Browns at eight and three, and the other being the Tennessee Titans. Both these teams dealing with some injuries, especially to their secondary. I believe uh, Denzel Ward is out for Cleveland. Adoring Jackson's out for Tennessee. Uh, Titans will also be missing uh, Johnny Smith, their tight end. I'm still going to go with the Titans, though. I think with all the injuries in Cleveland secondary, I think A.J. Brown's going to have a big game. I think Corey Davis could have a solid game as well. And at the end of the day, I just trust Ryan Tannehill more than Baker Mayfield. I think playing some you know pretty poor teams the last couple of weeks has covered up some of Mayfield's miscues. He's missed a couple of touchdowns. He's missed a couple of wide-open throws where, at the end of the day, the Browns are able to pull out a win, so it kind of gets overshadowed and no one kind of looks back at it. But I do think Tannehill, I know the Titans, you know, they had a bad game against Cincy. They had another bad game against Indianapolis. But overall, this Titans team, I just feel like, is more consistent, especially at the quarterback position where you need that consistency against... I know the Titans will have a great defense or even that good of a defense, but against a good overall team in the Titans, I just don't know if uh, Baker Mayfield and that overall Cleveland Browns team can rise to the occasion. Yeah, Alex. When you look, I mean, they quickly the Browns quietly become eight and three. Not many people are talking about them, and the question is: Is that justified, or are they a real contender? Are they a real team that you know? That's not to be messed with. And I'm, I kind of think they're a little bit of pretenders here, Alex. Yeah, they're going to be a playoff team. They're a solid football team. But I just think, as you said, the poor team that they've played, and they, I, I just can't put a lot of stock into them right now. And if they come out here and they prove us wrong and they, and they you know, show us that they can compete and they can really uh, take on the Tennessee Titans and teams of that caliber, all right. You know, that would be something to see. But right now, as you said, I don't trust Baker Mayfield. I think Tennessee Titans, although they have had defensive struggles, I think Mike Rabel can get them to stop the run. And once they do that, they'll have this game in hand. Yeah, so we're both going with Tennessee there. I do think, though, both Mike Rabel and Kevin Stefanski are doing very good jobs in their respective situations as head coaches. So, Shai, let's not go to a game that a couple of weeks ago may have been my favorite game to talk about. It may have been something I would have been so interested for, and that's Bengals-Dolphins. Unfortunately, a lot can happen in just a couple of weeks. Joe Burrow tears his ACL, Tua Tonga-Viola suffers a thumb injury, and he's questionable. I mean, Burrow versus Tua, I was so excited to finally see these two quarterbacks meet. Obviously, it's year one for both, so, you know, no matter who wins or who plays better, you're not going to, you don't want to overreact, although I definitely think some people might. Uh, I'm I'm picking Miami. I probably would have picked Miami if Burrow was playing, but against the Giants last week, I know Cincinnati put up 17 points, but one touchdown with special teams, their field goal was off a turnover that put them in great position, 
and then their second touchdown was set up by a pass interference call against the Giants that I didn't know if it was really warranted. So, I don't know, since he's offense, I think, again, Brennan Allen, he's your backup quarterback. I think he's a pretty solid backup quarterback. But this Dolphins defense has been great all season. You want, you know, I was talking about Rabel and Stefanski. This might be, in Miami, the most well, the best well-coached team in the NFL. What Brian Flores and company are doing is simply just incredible. And Cincinnati, I think they have a bright future. But with Burrow out, I just can't see them getting the job done, whether it's Tua or Fitzpatrick for Miami. Yeah, I think even with Burrow, that defense is, is that Miami is too strong or too well coached. And, you know, it, it starts in the secondary for me. They, Xavier Howard has put himself in the conversation to be, uh, as one of the best uh, corners in the NFL, if not the best, in my opinion. I, I feel like he was almost at that peak at that position and then he had the injury and we almost forgot about him you know my the Dolphins they went out and signed Byron Jones you know we saw the rise of guys like Stefan Gilmore and Jalen Ramsey was great and there were just so many you know cornerbacks that were really so so great and fun to watch uh Tredavious White is another and I think we all forgot about how good of a corner Xavier Howard was. And for those people that did remember, there also was concern. Can he make a full recovery? If he's healthy, can he return to the guy he was pre-injury? And he has, and he's kind of reestablishing himself as one of, if not the best cornerbacks in the NFL. And Byron Jones is also having a nice season. That Dolphins secondary has been playing pretty well. And that that front seven, the uh, again, what Flores and the entire coaching staff is doing, especially with the front seven of that defense, they're getting the most out of them with guys like Kyle Van Noy and Jack Lawson. Definitely. You see, that's really where you see. I mean, obviously the secondary is where Flores want to build that defense from. But in that front seven, you see they're less talented, but Flores and company are raising a level of those players, and it's paying dividends. So, yeah, we're both, we're both going with the Dolphins there. Now let's go to the Jaguars, who I think at this point it's pretty safe to say they might be locking up a top-two pick in the NFL draft very soon. And they're taking on the Minnesota Vikings, who are 5-6, and six, won a thriller, an incredible back-and-forth game against the Carolina Panthers. It's a really fun game to watch. I mean, I think Minnesota's defense, I think they're seeing improvement on a weekly basis, which is really positive to see, especially when you're considering how many young guys are on that defense, especially at the cornerback position. I think, you know, with their loss to Dallas a couple weeks ago, I think it might be too little, uh, too late to make a run at a possible wild card berth, especially because of how well, you know, I don't know if there's like one powerhouse. In the NFC, but you still have a lot of really good teams in the NFC. So I think it's probably too late for Minnesota to make a run at a playoff spot. But I do like the Vikings to take care of business against the Jaguars and uh, get to 500. Yeah, I agree. The Jacksonville Jaguars, at a certain point, what you know, besides pride here, they have a lot to play for, Alex. I mean, they're playing for a top two pick. Now... Technically, that might mean losing out, but they're, I mean, they're technically playing for it, right? I assume, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> and in that vein, I'm going to agree with you. I think the 
Minnesota Vikings the better team. They're going to want this game more. You know, I, I don't expect Mike Zimmer to quit on his guys anytime soon. So, again, I, you know, <laughs> I I think we'll see what happens with the Jacksonville Jaguars in the offseason, but for now, Minnesota Vikings are going to beat them this week. And keep in mind, as I kind of forgot about the top of the podcast, but David Caldwell, the Jaguars GM, he was also fired. So that's another vacancy, general manager vacancy, to add to the now growing list of uh, general manager vacancies in the NFL. And you know, this is a list that you know we haven't we haven't really seen uh, this amount of teams on this list in quite a while. So Caldwell's out. I'm thinking that Doug Marone, who remember there were reports that he was going to be fired at the end of last season. Jacksonville decided to keep him around, but again, with Caldwell not there, Jacksonville will probably want to hire a GM and head coach at the same time, pair him, maybe similar to what the Niners did with Lynch and Shanahan. So I expect you know uh, Marone's days as the Jaguars head coach to be numbered as Caldwell already got the axe on his job. I guess, Shai, before we move on, do you have, I guess, any thoughts on the uh, David Caldwell hiring? Or, sorry, excuse me, firing? No, I think it needed to needed to happen. And I think Doug Marone should have been fired this past year. Um, even gave him another shot, but uh, he'll be gone to, as, I mean, as you said, they're, they're, the, the listing of general manager vacancies are going up. You know, we'll get to the Eagles in a second, but Howie Roseman is, is, is starting to pop up in discussion for possibly being on the way out. We'll see what Jeffrey Lloyd decides to do there, and we'll get to that in the Eagles. But, again, it's going to be interesting to, 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 to see. I, I, have, I have a question for you. Is Jacksonville not, not the head coaching job, but from strictly a general manager perspective, do they have the most attractive general manager vacancy? among the vacancies right now that we know of? You know, that's... You have Atlanta, you have Detroit, you have Houston. You know, Houston has kind of that franchise quarterback, but Jacksonville has a ton of uh, cap, salary cap flexibility, and they have a boatload of picks. They have a boatload of picks that, you, as a general manager, you can get very creative with, and you can really build a team with the resources Jacksonville has. Houston, they have the franchise quarterback, but they also have a lot of holes, and they don't have the resources the Jaguars have. Yeah, I, I going to say the Jacksonville Jaguars, and for all the reasons you just mentioned, it's really between them and Houston, and obviously everyone can fall in love with Deshaun Watson. Uh, he's, he's fantastic, but again, the moves that Bill O'Brien has made around him have put the Houston Texans in a hole. Um, from that perspective in the front office, uh, by not having the picks, not having the, the salary, et cetera, Jacksonville has those things. They're able to add a guy, a, a franchise quarterback, to the top two pick in the offseason and fill, start to fill those holes with other veteran guys um, and other draft capital. I think you definitely have a promising job there, Jacksonville. Yeah, and again, I'm not going to you know compare Deshaun Watson to Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or any really the quarterbacks coming out of college who are still unproven, but a lot of it will depend on you. If you're maybe weighing as a GM candidate, if you're weighing these two jobs, it's 
can you get a franchise quarterback at number two overall? Maybe you get the number one overall pick, and I think that decision might be easier with Trevor Lawrence on the board, but can you get a true franchise quarterback at number two overall? Do you believe there's two or at least two franchise quarterbacks out there in this upcoming draft if you have the number two overall pick? If you believe that, even if maybe even if maybe they're not on Deshaun Watson's level, I think you take the Jacksonville job. Because then you can get that franchise quarterback at number two overall. And then using, obviously, you don't want to go on a spending spree already. You're still rebuilding. You're still young. But, hey, you can use some of your cap space. Use all that draft capital to, hey, maybe you trade up. Maybe you trade down and accumulate even more picks. But they they just have so much flexibility, I think, for their future. I just think, you know, C.J. Henderson, he started off hot, cooled down a lot. But I still think we've seen trades from him to, you know, to see... You know, that was a solid pick. I think Kalevion Chason can be a nice player on that defensive line. I think Josh Allen, I mean, he's not the same guy he was last year. But we saw last year Josh Allen was very dominant. So I think Jacksonville also has some pieces on the team now that that are bright spots for the future. Houston, they have Deshaun Watson, but um, there's not much else to like there other than that. And... I mean, are they even going to be able to re-sign Will Fuller? Has Will Fuller, who is suspended, played his last game as a Texan? He's a free agent at the end of the year, and Houston is really in salary cap. It's not good. It's not. I won't. I won't say what I, I won't say the word. Uh, salary cap. Fill in the blank. But I. I don't like what, I, that future. Of the team is very suspect outside of Deshaun Watson. So. Now let's go, you know, we talked about the Jaguars, number two overall pick, potentially. Now let's go to the team who, the only team standing in Jacksonville's way for the number one overall pick, that being the New York Jets. They're taking on the Las Vegas Raiders, who, I mean, that was an abysmal performance against the Atlanta Falcons. You know what, Falcons have a very good offense. They hung 50 or 43 on you. They're inconsistent, it happens. But you could only score six points against that defense? Six points. Uh, you hung with the Chiefs twice. You beat them in Kansas City. You almost beat them in Vegas. And you can only muster six points against the Atlanta Falcons? I mean, I, Shy, I think, we ha- I think, you know, at Raiders practices, we probably saw more Chucky than John Gruden. Yeah. <laughs> that that was really the most surprising thing that I've seen, you know, in the last couple of weeks of watching football. And uh, I really was high on the Raiders. I thought they were gonna, you know, come in here, take care of business against the teams they should. And I really wasn't worried at all about this game. The Falcons had shown, you know, little, you know, I mean, they showed some promise, but not enough for me to really consider this to be a game. But that, that Alex, did that show that the, the Falcons promise? Or did that show the how suspect the Raiders truly are? And I actually did think it would be a game. Uh, I thought that would be, I thought it would be a competitive game. And 
Atlanta won, which was surprising in its own right, but I guess if you told me Atlanta would win the game on Saturday night or Sunday morning, I would have said, you know what, okay, I've seen way crazier, and there are a lot more crazier things that, that can happen on Sunday. If you told me Atlanta was going to win 43-6, to that that is what stunned me. Not, not just that Atlanta won, but that Vegas had no answers. And, you know, I spent the last week or two, you know, really praising John Gruden, saying we don't talk enough about him. I mean, that was awful. That was awful. But I think the Raiders will get back on track. They play the Jets this week. And, hey, maybe the Jets can make this a competitive game. I, I have not ruled out the possibility that the Jets can actually make this a competitive game. At the end of the day, though, I think after coming off that terrible loss to the Falcons, the Raiders, they're going to come out angry. No Josh Jacobs. No Josh Jacobs, which could be key, but I still think uh, Devontae Booker is going to be able to run the ball at a pretty well rate. And uh, the Jets, I mean, you want, you were talking about possibly, you know, the Bears looking like they've given up. I mean, the Jets, I don't know what they're doing. So I do think the Raiders bounce back, get a win, improve to 7-5, and five. And if you, I mean the Jets, yeah, you're dangerously close to zero and sixteen now. And hey, maybe I, again, I think the Jets could potentially make this a game, but I I do think the Raiders pull this out, and I do think they come out angry and get a win. There's no way that the Jets make this a game, Alex. The the Chicago looked like they have given up. The Jets had given up weeks ago, you know, and. <laughs> I, I mean, the Raiders are going to put up probably at least 30 on him. I, you know, the Jets maybe can score a couple of touchdowns at most, but the, the Raiders are going to come out. John Gruden's going to have them ready to play, and they're, they're going to be angry, and we're going to see that. So now let's go to the final 1 o'clock game. It's, it should be a good game. The records might say otherwise, but it should be a good game between two division rivals. The Indianapolis Colts, who, I mean, they got blasted out of the stadium against the Titans. And, you know, I remember talking about, like, oh, the Colts run defense against Derrick Henry. And, you know, I was talking about that with you, Shy. And then I saw Buckner was out. He was placed on the COVID list. He's back this week. He's okay. But once I saw Buckner out, I I thought, "Uh uh-oh, Colts run defense could be in trouble. I, I, I really like Darius Leonard, so I... At the time, I thought, yeah, maybe Leonard can really step up. But I thought the combination of Leonard and Buckner was could potentially create problems for Tennessee. And then once Buckner was out, and it's really okay in terms of a run game standpoint, now Tennessee only really has to worry about Darius Leonard. That put the Titans at a massive advantage. Especially because, if I recall, Buckner didn't get out till about the Saturday, Friday or Saturday before the game. So it was pretty late in the week. So Indianapolis had also been preparing for Buckner to play in that game. So it was kind of to their surprise that, you know, on what whatever it was late in the week that he couldn't go either. I'm going to go with the Colts. And a big reason why is, A, they're getting Buckner back, which should be huge for them. And B, who's Deshaun Watson going to throw to? They cut Kenny Stills. Will Ford is suspended for the rest of the season, and Randall Cobb is still out with an injury. Like, 
who's Deshaun Watson going to throw to? I still think Deshaun Watson is going to have a, you know, a solid game, and he's played great football, but this Colts pass defense, led by the resurgence of Xavier Rhodes, has been tremendous. I, that Colts defense is kind of back together again, and I, I like Indianapolis, led by their defense, and, I mean, Houston's defense isn't great, so I do think the Colts' offense will be able to do more than their fair share to get a win against a division rival. And I know Houston's 4-7, and seven, but they are playing good football. So I do think this will be a really good football game and fun football game to watch. Yeah, it should be a solid game, but let's not overanalyze here. The Colts are a really good football team. And the, the losing to Forrest Buckner, you know, I have the same reaction. It means the world to them to get, to, to get him back. He's a huge part of that defense. And, you know, this, you know that's why. We saw Derrick Henry gashing them. And obviously the, you know, the Houston Texans don't have the same assets to do that. But um, we're, the, I, I'd be surprised if the, the, the Texans are able to get a lot of offense in this game. Um, I expect it to be a fairly low scoring um, just because of the dominance of the Colts defense. But I, I do like them to win this game. They're the better team. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about players who are – we talk about MVP all the time, and we talk about Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, as we should. But when we talk about players who maybe are most valuable to their respective teams, I think after seeing what Tennessee did compared to what they did in their first matchup and then their second matchup to Indianapolis, I think Buckner, we we probably need to talk about more and just his overall value to that Colts team. And I remember when the news broke, Colts gave up the 13th overall pick, then they paid him 21 mil a year. I was thinking, really? Like, I know Buckner's coming off a good year, but I wanted to see more. And I think now, you know, we see why the Colts gave up all that draft capital and financial capital to make sure that Buckner was part of their long-term plans. Because you just see how different that team played and how different the, the Tennessee offense was effective. I mean, Tennessee in the second half in the first week couldn't do a thing. In the se- in their second game, from kickoff to when uh, the zeros hit in the fourth quarter, Tennessee could do whatever they wanted. So I think we saw the value to force Buckner to that Colts team, and I think it was very eye-popping and eye-opening. And again, uh, Chris Ballard, the Colts GM, I think... You know, you see why he made that move. And I'm usually a fan of his moves, but initially I wasn't a fan of this move. But I, so far, based on what I've seen this year, it looks like he did. He, he was up to his old tricks, and he did it again. So, Shai, now let's go to the Giants and the Seahawks. And the Seahawks, they should blow the Giants out. Now, heading into this game, initially, maybe before, you know, this time last week, I thought the Giants potentially could have given Seattle a run for their money. Seattle, the last six games, they're 3-3. Three three. They're not playing their best football. And at times, they've looked beatable. I mean, you know, they're not an average team. They're a very, very good football team. But they did not have that same dominance they did the first, you know, five, six weeks of the season. But then Daniel Jones went down, and he's listed as doubtful. I... I don't think he's going to play. And even if he does, I he won't be 
he's not going to be hundred percent. And it's a hamstring injury with Daniel Jones, and obviously he's very, he's at his best with that kind of dual threat ability. When you know they get him, kind of running some zone reads, RPOs that makes not only Jones effective but also Wayne Gallman, who has been incredible in Saquon Barkley's absence, and also makes Gallman more effective. But with Jones not starting and Colt McCoy in there. You know, I think the full week of first-team reps should help McCoy, and he should be better than he was against Cincinnati. We'll see how conservative the play calling was. It was a lot more conservative when Colt McCoy was, you know, had to get in there uh, in the middle of the game. Obviously, that's very understandable, so I'm interested to see how Jason Garrett calls the game to Colt McCoy's strength versus how he norm- how he would in the past with Daniel Jones' strength. I'm also, I am very excited to see the James Bradbury versus DK Metcalf. Bradbury, in his first year with the Giants, has been an absolute steal of a free agent. He's exceeded all expectations. He's a definite pro bowler, you know, fringe all pro in my mind. He's been great, but I just think the absence of Daniel Jones, it's really going to hurt the Giants team. Colt McCoy also doesn't have that running threat that Jones possesses. So Seattle should handle business pretty easily against uh, the Colt McCoy-led Giants. Yeah, I think the Giants could have had a chance again if Jones was there. I agree with you. Uh, the Giants have been playing better, better and better football. And they're in the running for this division, which isn't saying all that much. but They probably, they probably been the most consistent team in this division. They've just lost a lot of close games. You're right, they have, but it just seems like Washington is, is on the rise that they're doing there. But it will be an interesting battle. Back to this game, though, I expect Seattle to take care of business. I mean, they there's no reason why they should lose this game. We saw, you know, what that defense was able to do to Carson Wentz. Again, with a bad offense, they were really able to put pressure on them. And the defense, you know, was able to say, okay, you know, we're not completely fun. We're not going to make it completely on Russell Wilson's shoulders. But, um, so I think it's the life for Colt McCoy and the, the Giants' offense to move the ball, especially in, in the passing game, is going to be, isn't it going to be such an easy task? So I, I, I do expect Seattle to win this game, and I'm, I'm expecting Seattle's defensive improvements to continue. Yeah, and I think, obviously, Jamal Adams coming back is big. But also, just the trade of for, or for Carlos Dunlap is proving to be huge. You know, I kind of thought, you know, what can Dunlap do at this point in his career? I didn't think he was the same guy. But he's played very well ever since the trade, and he's made everyone better around him. You know, we always talk about the quarterback position. You know, are, if, they're, are, if they're truly a franchise guy... They can make the receivers, the offensive line, the running back, the tight end. They can make everyone better around them, even the coaching. And that's what Carlos Dunlap has done, mainly for that defense or defensive line, but really for that defense in general. They're getting a lot more pressure on the quarterback. They're sacking the quarterback more. And again, that defense does not look atrocious, which might not be saying much, but they were putting up some historically bad numbers before the Dunlap trade. Ever since Dunlap, Dunlap's gone over, their defense has actually looked solid. Like, it's actually looked pretty good at times against Arizona, 
I, I know Philly's really struggled this season overall, but even hey, they're still an NFL offense. And it was for Seattle to basically shut him down for the most part was still somewhat impressive given what we saw earlier in the season. So the Dunlap trade has made all the difference for that defense. And then you throw in, what, Trey Flowers coming back and Shaquem Griffin coming back. And obviously, I mentioned Jamal Adams. So they're getting healthier on defense. But again, the big trade for Dunlap. I know, Shai, you kind of were saying, and I kind of agree with you, that you know they had to make another move. We thought the Dunlap trade may not have been enough. And I guess it's been huge for them. But I think that combined with some of their reinforcements coming back from injury, I think you put all that together, that's almost like that's almost like multiple trades and multiple acquisitions, and that is proving to be enough. Yeah, we'll just have to see how they progress. Um, if that pass rush, because now the secondary is healthy, and because we've seen that pass rush start to improve, but not really with you know the, the secondary being completely healthy. So. I want to really see... Again, the Giants might not be a, an adequate test. They're still an NFL offense, a backup quarterback. But again, I want to see them against a solid offense, a really solid offense, and just put them up with a healthy secondary, with the improvements of the pass rush with Carlos Dunlap. I'm, I'm looking forward to see if Seattle can put those pieces together and become more of a balanced team and complement the offensive firepower that they have. Well, I mean, Seattle faces the Jets next week. So that might not be much of a test either. <laughs> so now let's go. This might be one of the best games, if not the best game, on the Sunday slate. The 7-4 and four Rams taking on the 6-5 and five Cardinals. I'm going to cautiously pick the Rams. I'm going to cautiously pick the Rams. And that's because I just think the Rams overall played better as a team. You know, I know they lost to the Niners. But, you know, the defense still played pretty well. You know, the offense wasn't great, but the defense played pretty well. I feel like this offense hasn't been very consistent for the Rams, but I think the defense has. And I think against an Arizona defense that is okay, not great, I think Goff is going to have a a really solid game. I think Woods or Cup or even Josh Reynolds, for all we know, I think one of them, it might be whoever doesn't face Patrick Peterson, I think can have a really nice game. So I'm going to go with the Rams just because I think their overall team has played better than the Cardinals, but we know how good Kyler Murray is, and he has put himself right in the thick of the MVP conversation. But, Shai, something that's going to be really fun to watch in this game is Jalen Ramsey against DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I was just about to say that's really what I'm looking forward to most, um, most here. And, but that, I don't, I think... DeAndre Hopkins is going to get some of his. Jalen Ramsey is going to get some of his. It's going to be a fun battle, but you know that's not what's going to that's not what's going to decide this game. What's going to decide this game is the the, the 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 who's going to win the battle of the Rams' offense and the Cardinals' defense. And right now, I, it looks to me like I'm favoring the Rams because you know the Rams' offense has struggled lately. And the Cardinals' defense has been—they've been solid at times, but they are not, you know, up to par with the rest of the league per se. They're definitely a below-average unit. So, with that being said, and it could be that Kyler Murray and the Cardinals' offense makes it easier on them. 
and going to get into a little bit more of, of a shootout but against that Rams defense, but I'm going to lean with the Rams just because I have more faith in, in Sean McVay and Jared Goff. You know, although they've been struggled, they've struggled getting back on track there against a, a weaker unit and allowing them to win a close game. And I think kind of for Jared Goff, it'll just be get the ball to your playmakers. Get the ball to Reynolds and Cup and Woods and your running backs and let them do the dirty work. Let them get those yards after catch, yards after contact, and just don't turn the ball over. Take care of the Duke. Take care of the football. Don't put your defense in, in a bad position. Keep your defense off the field. Let them rest. So I think that's going to that's gonna probably be the key for the Rams if they do want to win this game. And obviously winning this game, you know, put them at 8-4. and four. But if the Cardinals were to win this game, then both teams would be 7-5. and five. So obviously big on division implications. As the NFC West is, we thought it'd be the best division in the NFL coming in. And it is, you know, I guess the Niners haven't been great and they've had their fair share of injuries. But overall, this defense has lived up to the, or sorry, this division has lived up to the hype. And we are going to really have a three-team race in this division all coming down to the wire. So let's now go to another afternoon game. The New England Patriots coming off a big win against the Arizona uh, Cardinals. Facing the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, I believe it's just four touchdowns shy of tying the rookie touchdown record set by Baker Mayfield. Obviously, Herbert's gotten a lot of playing time. He's missed only one game, which was week one when Terah Taylor started. I'm going to go with the Patriots. I know, you know I think Herbert's going to have a really nice game. But I also like Allen against Gilmore. I think, you know, I think Herbert's going to be able to get his fair share. But at the same time, I think the Patriots defense might make it tougher on the Chargers than maybe we've seen from other defenses in recent weeks. And this Chargers defense also has just been so inconsistent. And I feel like every time they've given, they've been given the chance to hold or blow a lead, they've blown the lead. And I feel like this Patriots team has, especially Kim Newton, has shown the ability to come back late in games. We saw last week against the Cardinals, against the Jets, they did the same thing. And against the Bills, they almost did it, except Newton fumbled deep in Bills territory. So I'm going to go with the Patriots. I think this will be a very close game. And again, we have kind of the future of Justin Herbert and the Chargers, and maybe potentially the past of Bill Belichick, Cam Newton, and the Patriots. Yeah, I have to agree. I think the Patriots, you know, they're Bill Belichick is going to do everything he can to win football games. You've seen that. He's not going to hold back. He's going to get the most out of his guys. Um, and I, I think there, this game is going to be won by slowing down Justin Herbert, getting pressure on him, you know, utilizing Stephon Kilmore to lock down Keenan Allen. That's how they're going to win the game. It's not going to be in the hands of Cam Newton. And the I, I just want to say something. The first, the first, you know, three, four weeks before Newton maybe got COVID, maybe a little before that, he was playing top-notch football. And the Patriots looked like a team to be trifled with on the hands of, you know, buried by Newton and Belichick. Uh, they looked like a very good team. And now we saw we see them slide. We see Cam Newton looking, you know, 
probably the worst of his career. He doesn't have weapons, no, but he's not throwing the ball well either. He's running the game. His running game has been less has been less less effective recently. There, that offense has not been good. Let's not you know. Let's not tiptoe around that point. So, I'm 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 beginning I'm beginning to to just want to point that out that 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 contrast and that you know maybe he what maybe his the fact that he maybe this was, isn't that surprising because I did not expect Cam Newton to to be so good at the beginning of the year, but now. He's he's been this good, so I I, I think yeah, I was proved wrong at first, but now he's starting to prove me right. With that being said, I do think the Patriots are going to win the game. Their their defense should be able to slow Herbert enough. And again, something this the clock management thing at the end of the half, the Chargers too. I mean, it brings up another question: Is Anthony Lynn on? Like, is it possible that they're going to move on from him, Alex? I think he's on the hot seat, and I think. He might have to, like, if he has other performances like he did against the Bills at the end of the game with the terrible clock management and in-game management overall, yeah, I think we could see him possibly getting the boot. At the same time, I think right now if the season ended today, I would hold on to him and I would kind of keep him for one more season. So it's more of kind of how does he how strong or weak does he finish the season i think if he doesn't if it's obviously strong you keep him if it's weak if it's much weaker than what he's already done you let him go if it stays the same i'd probably give him another opportunity just because i've look you're not going to make decisions based on other teams decisions but i don't know i've seen guys kept for a lot less than what anthony lynn has done and i just i guess I want to get a one more point about this game. Bill Belichick doesn't lose to rookie quarterbacks. <laughs> That's another thing. We, in all this, you know, yeah, they, we haven't, I guess, talked about it. You know, Belichick and the Patriots that much, just because, you know, for the first time in a while, you know, they're under five hundred. They haven't been as relevant. But Bill, Bill Belichick doesn't lose to rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and we saw a little bit of that against Kyler Murray. He's not a rookie, but he's a young guy, and they were able to kind of get him off balance a little bit, just enough for them to, to, to win that game. So now let's go to the Eagles and Packers, and I think Aaron Rodgers, he, Aaron Rodgers is on a mission. You know, after the Jordan, not just the Jordan Love pick, but the Jordan Love pick, kind of people saying he's washed. I believe he may not have been on the top 100 NFL list or maybe it was outside. And I don't think he, I think he may have been on the list or it was outside the top 10 or something. He was lower than he normally is. He feeds off those type of things. He definitely feeds off those types of things. I think he noticed it and he's having a career year. I believe he has 33 touchdowns and just four interceptions. It really is impressive what he's doing. And Carson Wentz is in his own head. I saw that Carson Wentz in his rookie year when he was when he showed promise, and then that near MVP year where he tore his ACL and the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl. I think with all with Nick Foles taking the team to the Super Bowl, and then there was debate. There was the debate: Do you stick with Foles? Do you go back to Wentz? Wentz kind of wasn't great the next year. Foles came in after Wentz got the back injury, led him to the playoffs. Okay, then there was the debate again, especially in Philly: Stick with Wentz. Or do you trade Foles? Do you trade one? Who do you? 
Wentz gets the big contract, and he struggled. And it happens. You know, a quarterback has a bad game, bad few games, but he's hearing the outside noise. And we know how loud it can get in Philly. And I just think Carson Wentz needs to, I don't know, go to a spa. Maybe, I guess, probably he can't do that with COVID and everything, but he he's in his own head, and, you know, he's not trusting his eyes. He's thinking too much. He's trying to play hero ball. He's trying to, you know, get all the magic he had in that in his second year and all the fan support back in almost one play, one throw, you know, one scramble, and he knows he can't do that. And I don't know if Doug Peterson has already had this conversation with him, but if you're Doug Peterson or you work on that Eagles coaching staff, you have to sit down with him and say, forget about what everyone else is saying. You have to forget what everyone else is saying. Don't pay attention to don't pay attention to them whatsoever. Just focus on what your job is, trust your own eyes. And I think if he can kind of let it loose a little bit, relax, and, you know, I'm not I'm not saying play carefree because you do have to take care of the football, don't turn the football over, but if he can some way get out of his own head, and I, he might be too deep at this point, if he can get out of his own head, I think then we could see more of the Carson Wentz we saw maybe not to that maybe not to that point but the same type of caliber once we saw his first year or two in the league when there was so much hype and promise i am going with the packers by the way i'm going with green bay to win this game packers another very overall consistent team i know they lost you know they got blown out by tampa they lost a tough one to the Colts. but packers overall have had a really good consistent season so i am going with green bay in this one yeah, this is going to be a blowout, Alex. Green Bay is going to take care of business. Carson Wentz, the issues with him run deep. It's not just him, it's Doug Peterson. It's that situation. And hopefully his mechanics are bad. There's so many things wrong with the hero ball. I'm hoping that they can get it sorted out in the offseason. Uh, so now let's go to the Sunday night game, Broncos-Chiefs. I'm a little disappointed this game Sunday night. Chiefs should blow him out. Denver, they could be looking for a quarterback. Who knows with Vic Fangio's future? Could he be out as the head coach? Uh, but uh, the Chiefs should win this game pretty handily. Yeah, I agree, Alex. Uh, maybe Denver can put up a little bit of a fight, but it's not going to matter against Patrick Mahomes. So now let's go to the Monday night doubleheader, and there's also a Tuesday night game. So we'll get to that. We'll get to all three of these. But Washington Pittsburgh. And I don't use this term lightly, and I almost never use this term, but I think this could be a very realistic trap game. Pittsburgh, I think, could be exhausted coming off the week of nothing but postponements and frustration with the Baltimore situation, and they had their own COVID cases, so much going on, and I think they could be exhausted. Washington, they're, they're playing their best football. The defense is playing much better. Alex Smith is obviously the best quarterback on that team, and he's playing very well as well. I'm going to go with the Steelers, but I definitely think this could be a lot closer than, A, the records indicate, and B, what some people might be saying. I think this could be a very competitive game, and if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm a little worried. I think this could definitely be a possible trap game. I do, I'm as I said, I'm going to go with the Steelers, but I don't feel as confident as maybe someone else might 
Yeah, Alex, I feel a little bit more confident than you do. The um, the the Steelers, you know, they're going to be tired after a Ravens game. Doesn't matter. That game, that that was an atrocious game from that that played by them, by the way. But it after that type of game, they're going to be tired. But they're, they're it's also less of a trap game because they played junior varsity, as Mike Tomlin said. That's how they played, and. He's going to have them ready to play. He's going to have their best effort on the table to bounce back. I, I, I trust that the Steelers do not put up back-to-back, you know, JV performances. You know, and we talked about this earlier before the podcast, but I even with the loss of Bud Dupree, which is a huge loss, I, I don't see, you know, Washington moving the ball effectively on the Pittsburgh defense. You know, maybe they'll be able to run with Antonio Gibson a little bit just because of the, how tired the defensive line could be from the Baltimore game. Uh, but, I, again, maybe not consistently. They look at the other side of the ball. I don't know. If, I, I think the front seven can challenge the Pittsburgh run game. They have no run game, all right? The Pittsburgh offensive line is very good. That's a matchup to watch. Can they get the pressure on Ben? Even though he's throwing the ball 2.1 seconds out of his hands. It's going to two point one seconds. So, I, and then again, I don't think the Washington football team has the assets in the secondary to stop the Pittsburgh receivers. I just think it's a it's set up to be a trap game, but it's going to be a bounce back game. So now let's go Bills Niners. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. I do think though, Kyle Shanahan will the Forty ers ready to play. We saw San Francisco go into into L A. Get a big division win. Buffalo's just been so good throughout this season, really all all season long. I mean, what they they had the they've had a couple of bad outings, you know, like against Tennessee. But Josh Allen, for the most part, has proven both Shy and myself completely wrong. He's playing uh, his best football, and it's really shown that overall he's turned a corner. And Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator, he's definitely I think a head coaching candidate for maybe some of the vacancies we mentioned earlier in the podcast, but I'm going with the Bills. Shy, what say you? Yeah, the Bills are a really a really strong team and it's for me it's it's not that close. I, I Josh Allen's playing great football. Their defense is good, so win this game. Yeah, Bills defense hasn't been as great as maybe I expected this year, and I guess that's been kind of made up for with the uh, level that Josh Allen has played at, and I do think that the Niners, even with all their injuries, pretty remarkably, they've definitely won games and been competitive in games that maybe we didn't expect, so that's that does lead me to believe a little bit that this game potentially could be very competitive, and I think if the Niners were healthy, I think this would be an incredible and fun game to watch for a Monday night game especially, so... I do think Buffalo will win, though, just given everything San Francisco has had to dealt with from an injury standpoint this season. So, finally, let's get to the last game of the Week 13 schedule. A Tuesday night game. The Dallas Cowboys taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Robert Griffin III was placed on injured reserve with a hamstring injury, so it's either going to be Lamar Jackson who would be eligible to come off the COVID list if he does test positive. So we'll see if he does negative. test positive. Oh, sorry, excuse me. If he tests negative, excuse me. Um, 
And if he does, it's going to be Trace McSorley, who, against a tough Pittsburgh defense, actually looked decent. You know, he made some made some nice plays. I know, you know, he made a... Two plays. One of them was on a seventy-five yard touchdown, or whatever seventy yard. Okay, he, I mean, how many plays did he have a chance to make? Though he came in for like the last four minutes of the game. That's true, but I think you take away that one missed play. I think it's not a whole lot. He was struggling. I also that. believe like he had never played. Had he ever like taken a snap in the NFL, or at least like thrown an NFL pass? That the, like that that's the point. The lack of experience, that's why I thought, oh, he actually wasn't you know, he was okay for a guy who had never who had very little to no NFL experience. I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens basically based on their defense. Their defense, for the most part, did a really good job against Pittsburgh despite Pittsburgh getting the win. Their defense has been great all season, even with Lamar Jackson taking a big step back this season. That defense has been incredible and it is a big reason why the Ravens are or do have six wins on the season. So even if it's Trace McSorley, I'm still going to pick the Baltimore Ravens. And I actually see there's not even a line on this game yet because we don't know who's starting for the Ravens. Obviously, if Lamar starts, I'm much more confident the Ravens are going to win. But I guess I would it'd be close. But with the game being in Baltimore, I would lean the Ravens to beat uh, the Cowboys, even if McSorley is at quarterback. Shy, what's your pick for this final game of the Week 13 slate? Yeah, I'm also going to pick the Ravens, and I'm pretty confident, uh, even if Jackson doesn't play. The defense is really, really good. Although the Steelers played a JV game, we saw them being the only team this year to really slow down the Pittsburgh passing attack and their wide receivers. And that's that's not said lightly. So um, they they have the defense, and I think they have the running game, which, you know, was decently successful against Pittsburgh even without Lamar and I think against the Dallas defense which is really poor on the ground we'll 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 see them being able to uh to move the ball effectively combine that that defense and they'll win this game so that's it for the week 13 games shy I always do this every week what's something that stands out to you or or something that you want want to have the last word with I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push past the floor to you because I don't wanna I don't wanna stall stall or anything uh, I don't have anything in my mind right now. I guess I'll just kind of go back to a theme I feel like we talked about a lot, and that was just the amount of general manager uh, openings. You know, I think we're already at what four already with the potential for more. I think you know this could be Dave Gettleman's last year as general manager with the Giants. Uh, you know, we talked about Ryan Pace and the Bears. So we could get up to, what, six? And who knows? We always could have a surprise. So we could have a six or seven possible openings, you know, in the you know in the NFL. And I don't think we've seen those type of numbers since around 2013 when we may have had, what, like seven or eight. So just really surprising to see not just the amount of head coaching vacancies, but the amount of general manager vacancies. For Shy Dweck, I'm Alex Rubinson. That's all the time we have on this week 13 edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. We hope to see you next week for week 14.